Hello and welcome back to the show. I'm Christoph Defoe. I'm Liz Wilson. At least since 2016, the news has been consistently terrible for progressives. It seems like we're always losing, doesn't it? I don't think that trend will come to an end anytime soon, frankly, but it is super gratifying that on today's show, we can finally talk about some good news. Kansas voters surprised us last week by preserving women's right to have an abortion in that state. And Joe Manchin surprised us by not behaving exactly like a Republican. In this episode, Liz and I will react to this welcome news and we'll discuss how savoring these small wins can provide the vital hope and stamina we need in the ongoing fight for social justice. But first, I want to remind you that if you like our show, make sure to subscribe, leave a review, check out our Patreon and tell your friends to listen. New episodes post Mondays at noon Eastern on all the major podcast channels. And we're not just saying that, by the way, really, if you like the show, leave a review. You can't, I can't tell you how much that helps. Like, it really, really does. It's, it's just huge. So if you like our show, go leave a review. Just say, thumbs up, I like this show. That is huge. Okay. Also, by the way, be sure to check out our sponsor, Cannibal & Co., located in downtown Jersey City and at shopcannibal.com. Cannibal, that's Cannibal with a K, stocks a rotating collection of goods ranging from apparel and accessories to home furnishings and fine jewelry. Cannibal weaves its forward-thinking vision together with its traditional roots to provide an expertly curated experience of unique and locally sourced finds. We are grateful to Cannibal for sponsoring our show. Before we get into it, let's do a little check-in. How are you doing, Defoe? What's going on with you? Oh, boy, Liz. Um, I'll be honest with you. It's been a bit of a challenging week in some ways, a challenging couple weeks, I guess, since the last time we talked, although we obviously talk when we're not on this show, everyone. Mm -hmm. But in terms of the last time that we were together, um, I am uh, obviously very lucky in the grand scheme of things. I get that. But that doesn't mean that everything is hunky-dory, right? So I've been doing a lot of book writing over the last couple of weeks. Um, I, I tend to write in these spurts where um, I do mostly nothing else but just write for a couple of weeks. And, mm-hmm. you know, obviously I have to work as well. But I mean, when I'm not working, um, I'll spend most of my free time just writing. Um, and so for those of you who don't know, in the late 80s, my family was involved in a cult called Church Universal and Triumphant out of Bozeman, Montana. The cult leader prophesies the end of the world, as they are wont to do. (laughs) And in response, church members constructed an extensive bomb shelter complex in the Montana mountains. And so one of my earliest memories in life is being in one of those bomb shelters, right, strapped to a bed and genuinely believing that tonight was the end of the world. Jesus. And so (laughs) normally I don't think much about that, right? I've processed this. I've been in therapy for 15 years, right? I am Mm -hmm. really open about this. Like, it's one of the first things I talk about. I'm like, hi, my name is Christoph Defoe. And by the (laughs) way, I I grew up in a cult, right? Like that's sort of very normal for me. I'm just not upset Mm -hmm. by it. I don't don't take it as part of me, right? right? I mean, I didn't make those choices. And so I don't take it personally. I spent a lot of time in my youth being embarrassed about it, but I'm just not anymore. Um, But but over the last couple of weeks, I have really sort of, I guess, rediscovered the challenge of writing about traumatic events, right? Like, you're an artist, I think that writing also Liz, right? Writing and art can get very, very personal, right? And very, mm-hmm. very uh, intense in some senses. And yeah, all writing, the best writing. It, yeah. Right. And and writing is like reliving. It, it's right. describing the images and memories that are that I'm conjuring up in my head. And it turns out that reliving that era is mm-hmm. not explicitly um, easy. And I didn't think of it that way. I was just like, come on, whatever. Like I I've read about this. Writing about trauma. Mm-hmm is more challenging than you think it's going to be. And I was like, whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, come on. I'm, I'm a writer. I can write. And I process this stuff. But mm-hmm. I'm now that I'm actually really ni- getting into the nitty gritty of this specific incident, 
it was like, holy shit, like, no, that's, that's heavy. I got to take a break. I got to take a break. So, um, in the midst of all the good things that have been happening, I think over the last couple of weeks, there are some positive things that have been happening. We're going to talk about those things. Right. But personally, Mm -hmm. that's sort of what I've been sort of wrestling with. But again, honestly, small potatoes in the grand scheme of things. I'm not here. This is not a poor me session. Like it really is not. But hey, look, you asked, right? How about you? What's going on with you? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, trauma is trauma. There's no small potatoes. Um, That's so interesting. I've heard that about writing too. So I forget who it was. It was, I was listening to an interview with an author who had been writing about her trauma. And she said the same thing. She's like, I talk about this all the time. I don't understand. It's not that big a deal to me. I don't think it is. And then I go to write about it and I'm having panic attacks and like, I can't sleep at night and all this stuff comes up. Yeah. Um, How have I been? Well, it's interesting what you said about, you know, your process with writing being you write, 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 and then you have a chunk of time off. You write, write, write. You know, I think that's I think that's pretty common when it comes to creative work. I, or maybe mm. I just tell my, maybe I just tell myself that so I feel better about my process. <laughs> um, <laughs> because I have not been painting. I, I had a day, a couple of, maybe last week I painted for one day, but, um, and I do think that that helps me stay on an even keel when it comes to my mental health. So I, I I've, I've probably been suffering from a lack of that a little bit, but, um, again, overall things are great. (laughs) I have some very first world problems. Like my husband has been away for work a lot. So I've been doing the kids, you know, summer vacation and all that kind of stuff, which is like, you know, parenting is wonderful. I love my kids. (laughs) Right. Right. But parenting is also bullshit a lot of the time. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it seems it super super intense like mm, i was watching some mm-hmm. of your uh your uh facebook or i'm sorry instagram sorry that's it didn't mean to say that not oh, facebook. Don't, yeah, such uh, an insult uh, jesus christ <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry I, I i'm so sorry liz i'm so sorry I, I, i'm sorry what i bet was your instagram stories um mm-hmm. related to the challenge of you know having kids at home during the summer, right, keeping them entertained. And I know that, like, your, your Matt has to be up in New York a lot of the time and he's working a lot. Mm-hmm. So I, I, that's a legitimate challenge. And I think it seems to me, what do you think about this? It seems to me that the challenges of parenting, the challenges of life, but I think particularly the challenges of parenting aren't talked about, at least historically, have not been talked about really at all. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. people like blunder their way into pregnancy and into Mm -hmm. marriage and into a whole life, which they suddenly realize one wake up and realize one day, oh, wow, this is what this is. Uh, For real. We're all we're given a very Norman (laughs) Rockwell idea Mm -hmm. about what all that's going to be. And it's just not. And it is its own beautiful, of course, messy thing. But but yeah, I think the result is you have all these people who get pregnant and then they have babies and they think like, wait, wait, <laughs> nobody said this was going to happen. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> and I'm not right, talking right. about like everyone knows sleepless nights, blah, blah, blah. Sure. But uh, and I can only speak from my perspective, obviously. But as a mother, I felt this complete um seismic shift of my identity is, you know, who I was as a person was completely different. Um, and you really lose yourself in the beginning because it really is all about this other creature. You are not even secondary. You're dead last on the list of things that you need to get (laughs) done. And, uh, yeah. (laughs) So, and it, and it it obviously changes and and I've gotten myself back, but there is still that at the end of the day, there's something about parenting that is simultaneously incredibly boring and understimulating and yet ex- utterly exhausting. Mm. And it's a really difficult thing to navigate because, you know, when I make these videos on Instagram, it's not like I've been out running a marathon or like, you know, writing a thesis. 
but I am exhausted just from the mere fact that I'm having to contend with this level of energy from other beings who mm-hmm. are really not developmentally prepared to be thinking about my needs yet. Right, right, right. That's not their job. So, right? That's not their job. No, and it shouldn't be. And that's fine. <laughs> um, so it's this weird, like, I can't really do my own thing and get into my own stuff very much because I'm constantly getting interrupted. So I really right. do it, you know, anyway, um, that's a long way of saying that I'm just, I'm feeling a little parenting burnout and I think it's good to talk about it. You know, like you said, I think it's one of those things that people can get knocked sideways by because everyone wants to say how rosy it is all the time and it's not, but, um, that doesn't mean it's not worth doing. Right. Absolutely. I mean, so, it yeah. seems, I, I just think it's important to be honest about those things. And I think that we could at some point, and I think we should at some point do a show about that, that concept, right? The, um, the challenge of, because I've heard this, by the way, from other women who are moms that I know, this, the challenge of, um, the challenge of losing your sense of self suddenly when a child shows up and, and, and then having to contend with that and mm-hmm. figure out what that means and how am I going to adapt and become a new sort of sense of identity. And then on the other end, when the children are older and don't need you as much, right? Cause right. I have, I have friends who have parent kids that are now about to go to college Mm-hmm. And people mm-hmm. who their entire identity has been wrapped up in being a mother and raising these child, and then suddenly they don't need you anymore, right? Mm-hmm. Then you have to then rediscover. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So anyway, I think that's a really interesting story that I think does not get told uh, because women's stories don't get fucking told in our Amen, culture. Amen, you know? brother. <laughs> <laughs> you know? That is that and is I, this true. Is something that I just learned. I just learned about this in the last couple of years. I'm just mm-hmm. like, holy shit, like that makes sense to me, you know? Yeah, of course. I get yeah. that. I get that. No. You know? Yeah. It's very true, though. I think women's stories don't get told. And when they do get told, if they're painful or messy, they're shameful. Mm-hmm. I think it's one of the reasons that it's only in the last couple of years that people have made a movement to talk about uh, miscarriage and and birth trauma. Right. Because that was you just don't talk about it. It's a it's a secret. It's almost shameful, as I said. Totally. Um, totally. But anyway, yeah, I think that's a very being a woman has a lot to do with that. Totally. <clears throat> yes. Well, anyway, as you said at the top of the show, Defo, Dems have experienced some wins in recent days, which is a fun change of pace. Just two days. Yeah. Two days ago, Kansas voted resoundingly to protect abortion rights. Woo! Anti-abortion lawmakers had proposed an amendment to the state constitution that would have stripped existing protections. In this post-Roe world, as we know, state laws are the last sort of tenuous thread that we can cling to in our fight to protect our rights. And as the primary season begins, we'll be seeing, I think, state by state, what Americans actually want when it comes to abortion. This isn't just the theocrats in office deciding and manipulating the system. This is real Americans voting. And Kansas was essentially the first referendum on this issue, I think. Mm. And it's incredibly promising to me that in Kansas, of all places, the people resoundingly stood in favor of abortion access. What does it feel like to see something hopeful in the news, my friend? (laughs) Um, (laughs) It feels fucking awesome. And first of all, I don't uh, uh, prefacing all of this by the fact that I do not have a uterus. And so um, I can't imagine the depth of um, the depth of joy that must it sort of wash over uh, a, a progressive, thoughtful woman when you're seeing, holy shit, maybe this isn't as maybe maybe this country isn't as shitty as we thought it was. Mm. And mm-hmm. um, so, you know, here here's the thing is that in a fundamental sense, right, this podcast was built 
of tragedy, born of tragedy. We launched it in June of 2020 in the midst, mm-hmm. like really like in the midst of the George Floyd protests and at a time when the Trump administration was still actively, I mean actively taking apart democracy. It, it was a time during which the coronavirus pandemic was running rampant through the world. And we didn't even have vaccines at all at that point. Mm So, um, and we've watched a lot of incredible, terrible events unfold since then, ranging from the death of Justice Ginsburg and then relatedly the death of Roe v. Wade, Mm -hmm. the January 6th nightmare, and, and the somehow now forgotten uh, Putin war crimes in Ukraine. Mm. I mean, remember that's mm-hmm. still happening, right? Right. Um, that's literally still happening right now. Uh, and, and it's just been an onslaught of terrible news. So many moments where people like you and me uh, were like, how could things possibly get any worse than this? And <laughs> then they really did get mm. worse, right? Like, <laughs> like, oh my God, the bottom fell out again, right? And oh so, wait, there's I another think- bottom. <laughs> Uh, who knew the bottoms just keep going and going and going? You know, it, it, it's really easy to just be crushed under the weight of all that shittiness, right? It, it's really easy to conclude that human civilization is just beyond redemption, beyond hope. Why bother voting or organizing mm-hmm. or even participating at all? Or maybe we can do what the communists want to do. Um, this is one of my hobby horses. The commu- and I will bring this up many, many times over the course of this podcast. Uh, well, not this particular podcast, but over the course of our existence. Um, the communists mm-hmm. out there who just want to really burn the whole thing to the ground, right? They want to burn the whole thing to the ground and start from scratch. Um, bring out the pitchforks and the guillotines and start from scratch. Like, they're not joking around. This is what they say they want to do. Um, mm-hmm. I think that is the lazy way out. I think it's always easier to destroy than it is to create. It's easier to point out what's wrong than it is to come up with real actionable solutions. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and the hard work of finding solutions and maybe more to the point, the, the hard work of finding common ground with people that we have to negotiate with, that we have no choice but to negotiate with. I think that that all starts with hope. And it starts with finding reasons to hope. And I think that the people of Kansas gave us that last week. I think they gave us a reason to hope. Maybe this country isn't as bad as we thought it was starting in 2016, right? Yeah. Maybe there's something worth saving. And I think that shard of hope can be, I think it has to be, frankly, what else do we have? We have to build, use that as a foundation for building a way out of this mess, for building momentum. And I think that's what this, that's what Kansas did for me. That's what Kansas did for me. What about you? Yeah. I mean, yeah. (laughs) Listen, Um, I was shocked, to be honest. And in a really great way, but um, mm-hmm. I had certainly been sinking into despair, you know, mm-hmm. um, post row being overturned. Uh, and I've been using all my mental health tricks to stay afloat as much as possible. But watching clips of people celebrating when the decision was when it was called and I got just this feeling that I haven't had. (laughs) The last time I had it, I think, was when uh, Biden, they called the election for Biden. Um, This idea that we're, oh, maybe we're not just fucked. Maybe, maybe we can do good things. Maybe people can make good choices. (laughs) Because that's the other thing, you know, there's all these polls that you can read and you hear about, about um, opinions on abortion nationwide. And, and you hear it on the left all the time. The rallying cry is Americans overwhelmingly are in support of abortion access, but it's one thing to hear about a poll. And it's another thing to see people in fucking Kansas vote to keep abortion access legal. Um, Totally. Really, really mind-blowing for me. And it does give me hope because if Kansas can do it, 
I, you know, maybe other people can do it too. Totally. Um, and I cue all of the like Dorothy and, uh, you know, uh, Dorothy mm. in Kansas, right? Means yeah. they all came out, right? Oh, uh-huh. something in Kansas, da da da. Click your heels, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But, they, but but that's but what you said just there in terms of that feeling of elation. I was like, oh my god, I forgot what this feels like. Uh-huh. You know, it's like, is this winning? You know, like is mm-hmm. this? I forgot what winning <laughs> feels like, and it's not a big feel? win. What is this? No. What is this feeling? Listen, and, we're taking I mean, the crumbs. <laughs> Yes, it's we have to though, Liz. We I feel like I we mean, have this to, feels you know? more like a cookie than a crumb. This really feels mm. like more because I do think it's not like New Jersey voted to keep abortion rights. Right, you know? right, sure, sure. This is the yeah, speaking point. of um, Wizard of Oz references. I saw someone call it Ruby Red Kansas. Ruby Red uh-huh. Kansas. Um, absolutely, yeah, they, absolutely. They yeah, a lot it. of those references. Yeah, and it's it's fun. It's really fun. Um, yeah, feeling I mean, that yeah. way. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, 50, I got the numbers here, 58.8 to 41.2. That's the last time I looked at it, and it could be even higher now. Like that's... Ugh. And that's and that's not just in the bluer districts. That's in a bunch of the red counties as well. Exactly. And this is the other thing this I is... read about this. I mean, this is mm-hmm. just so the amendments placement on the primary ballot, many people assumed would favor conservatives because there's a greater number of GOP primaries in in Kansas in this past in their primary that just happened. So they thought it would be all conservatives coming out to vote. So clearly. Even in Kansas, with a ballot that was weighted towards conservatives, this mm. still happened. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I thought was very interesting is I was reading lots of articles. And one of the things that organizers said was their strategy, their strategy was to find common ground when they were trying to rally people to vote no on this amendment. Um, and it meant they brought a lot of libertarians to their side because they used the, you know, the personal freedoms argument to get them on board. And I, when I read that, I just thought like, yes, we're on the right fucking page with this because this is what you and I talk about all the time. We have to remember that these people are human beings, right? They are human beings and we can't just burn them to the ground and start over again. We can't just force people to all believe the things that we believe. But if we can find the, the parts of them that match up with the parts of us or things where we can see eye to eye, then we have something to hold on to. And then if we have something to hold on to, we can build something together from that point. Right? Ah, so well said, uh, Liz. That's, and that's, that's, we talked last week, um, last episode about Mm -hmm. this radical empathy concept, right? right? And that is being able to look at this person across the aisle from you not excuse their shitty behavior, not excuse their Trump vote, not excuse their misogyny, no. but just as a purely practical matter, say, where can we find common ground? And right. to able to do that, I think it's important, and this is where the empathy element comes in, to be able to mm-hmm. place ourselves in their perspective. And that's what these organizers did, just like you said. They said, hmm, what do these people care about? What are the, how right. do these people think? These people think like libertarians. They think the, of themselves as out there on the frontier by themselves with their gun and their and their rights. How can we pull this into? And, and by the way, very, I don't want the government up in my shit, right? Mm-hmm. And this mm-hmm. is a, that's a, that is the play. That is the play. The play is not to insult those people, Correct. tell them how stupid they are, and tell and then and then get mad at them when they right. are like, fuck you. Because of course they're gonna say fuck you, right? Exactly. And again, well, it doesn't yeah. mean it doesn't mean that they're not wrong about all that stuff. They are. But come right. on, do you want to get something done or not, right? Exactly. And you know when someone talks to you if they're thinking of you as a human being or not, right? And if exactly. someone's speaking right. if someone's talking to you and they're acting like you're you're a stupid idiot <laughs> or calling you dehumanizing names, you're not going to want to take in what they're saying. You're not going to want to find common ground with them. So we have no, to start somewhere. Like the reality is we have a, a country full of people and they are all different. 
<laughs> and the only way to progress is to find common ground and to That's see it. people empathetically and human as humans. And to get back to my hobby horse here, this is my problem with the uh, mm -hmm. hard leftists and the and the uh, the communists, especially on the very very hard left, but even regular leftists that are just like my way or the highway and. Right. Ironically, I agree with them on a whole slate of issues, right? Like mm -hmm. we could, funny enough, get together, find common ground and move forward. And I would agree mm -hmm. with a ton of what they have to say. But we have to be able to be prepared to do that with people who have abhorrent beliefs too. Not because we right. agree with their abhorrent beliefs, but because the goal here is progress. It ha the, the goal here is not being right or 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 beating somebody into submission. Like it, it, right. it's just not a good long-term strategy. You know, right. one thing I wanted to point out also, and I wonder how you think about this, and that is, right, it's, I, I in thinking about Kansas and the win, I thought that this was emblematic or representative of the fact that conservative policies aren't just bigoted, they aren't just theocratic. They're also really just unpopular among a wide <laughs> swaths of Americans. And mm -hmm. also they are genuinely just bad policy, right? Mm -hmm. But progressives, this is the difference between progressives and conservatives. Like, right, we aren't just about winning a political fight, right? We, mm -hmm. yes, we want to win the political fight, but not for its own reason, for its own purposes. Exactly. We want to do that because we want to improve the world and improve people's lives. So there's mm -hmm. a sense in which we can, and I don't suggest we actually do this, but there's a sense in which I'm just sort of, this is more of a thought experiment, but there's a thought, there's a sense in which we can just sit back and let conservative policy happen and then wait for people to realize <laughs> how ineffectual and how and often mm -hmm. dangerous those policies are. And of course, I'm not saying again, I want to just clarify and be very, very clear. I am not saying that we shouldn't fight. We have to fight to improve people's lives. But right, we can also be certain that when conservative policies actually take hold, people won't like them. Even conservatives right. don't like conservative policy when it happens to them and their and right. their families, right? They want right. conservative policies for those people out there and, that they hate. That, they don't yeah. want it for them and their families, right? They they Correct. don't want they want their daughter to be able to have an abortion if she's raped. <laughs> she, they, but they don't mm -hmm. want that person out there to use birth use use abortion as birth control, right? That's uh -huh. what this really is. So these right. con again, I'm not saying conservative we should really just let conservative policies happen because that would be disastrous and and brown, black, marginalized, LGBTQ people, that's who will suffer. But right. But come on, right? These policies really are shitty. They're just terrible policy, like on their face. Right. They're terrible policy. And not only that, but because they stem from the goal of winning, not the goal of improving lives, they're completely inconsistent. Like mm. they don't work together. There's no <laughs> right. consistent like moral thread through the entire thing because it's just whatever they can get people, you know, riled up about to get them to vote. The base. Exactly. Um, That's it. And give it them also, the red the meat. Other thing it's just is, about giving the red meat. Exactly. And and the red meat of the moment, right? There's right, no right, like. Right. <laughs> they're not going to have point. to like make it make sense later because they'll just change it later. There's no consistency. And, and this right. also is interesting because as you were talking, I was thinking, yeah, they don't mind if they're if the person who lives on the other side of town can't get an abortion. You know why? Because they use othering, because other people, mm -hmm. they are dehumanizing them. And that is why yes. they can they can be, quote unquote, okay with a policy that is evil and shitty, because they think of the people who it's applying to as not fully human. And that's all part of the messaging. That's so true. And it's the same thing with, right... Down at the border, uh, I just posted mm, on our mm -hmm. Insta on our on our Instagram. My friend um, from law school, her name is uh, Nilu, and she runs an organization called Pangea Legal. Uh, everybody, please go follow her on uh, on Instagram. Uh, it's an amazing organization that runs um, for, with a collective governance model, uh, and they do and they advocate 
Uh, they call themselves movement lawyers, movement immigration lawyers. They are not just doing the legal services. They are out there advocating, organizing, and all that kind of... It's unbelievable work that she's doing, and I can't mm -hmm. wait to get her back on. Um, mm -hmm. But she was just... I just posted something about about uh, a a campaign that they're working on. And it made me, and it's, I'm thinking about this right now because uh, it's that dehumanizing element right down at the, they're talking about how there are, they've, they're organizing uh, people in detention centers who are being forced to work, right? We use uh, labor of prisoners all the time. They get paid a dollar a day to do work and they are striking essentially and saying, look, we're not going to do this anymore. You're not paying us enough and you've detained us, right? So mm -hmm. people in, we are not uh, you and me, hopefully, but conservatives and conservative policy um, at the border and with people that are, uh, that are trying to come to the United States often because of bad United States policy in their home countries, right? Often, mm -hmm. often they are fleeing yeah. the, the, they are fleeing the aftermath of, of, of American colonial policy and, uh -huh. uh, and European colonial policy. They come to the United States and then, and they send their kids alone. You know, the, the kind of, you're a mom, the kind of desperation that you have mm -hmm. to be at where you say, my kid is better off with these coyotes with a, mm -hmm. a, a a smuggler to get across the, or just walking up to the border, right? Then yeah. they are at my, with me. I can't, I can't protect them here. I just can't right. imagine being in that place. And meanwhile, you have conservatives demonizing these people, right? They should right. just follow the rules, right? And uh -huh. I'm just, I'm just pick, piggybacking on your point there of this dehumanization element, which right. is just so palpable. And yeah, we all do it as human beings, but- mm -hmm. On the right, it is just, it, it, again, it's, it's a matter of policy on the right. Correct. Yes. I mean, it's just, you see the same thing with when black men are shot for having a broken headlight or whatever the fuck they're doing. And sure. people say, well, you should just listen to the police officer. <laughs> right. Because that's why you're dead. Because not listening exactly. to the police can result in a death sentence. And that's fine. Unless it's a white person. Um, sure. That dehumanization. It is. It's mm -hmm. the dehumanization, a hundred percent. Um. Yeah. And yeah. Anywho. Okay, but wait. Let's get back to some more hopeful stuff. Okay. Absolutely. Before we because... devolve into, <laughs> it's so easy to devolve into how <laughs> shitty things are, isn't it? It's really. It really is. Um. So last week. Democrats were able to finally get Manchin on board with the idea of actually doing something. It turns out he and Schumer have been quietly working out their differences over a new bill called the Inflation Reduction Act, which I feel like it's a funny, I feel like it's a very pointed name because it deals with a whole uh -huh. lot of other things. But they're like, hey, Republicans, we're going to reduce mm -hmm. the debt. We're going to take the deficit down. Exactly. Inflation reduction. Anyway. Um, so but if it does pass and let's be clear, it's not it's not there yet. But if it does pass, it'll be huge for climate and for tax reform. Um, in a piece for um, Politico, Burgess Everett and Marianne Levine wrote, the Manchin-Schumer deal includes roughly $370 billion in energy and climate spending. 300 billion in deficit reduction, three years of subsidies for Affordable Care Act premiums, premium or sorry, prescription drug reform and significant tax changes. Democrats plan to raise revenues for the legislation by imposing a 15 percent corporate minimum tax, increasing IRS enforcement, reducing drug prices and closing the so-called carried interest loophole. So basically getting more money from fucking millionaires and billionaires. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Laura Cole, who is a professor of public policy and urban affairs at Northeastern, calls it, quote, absolutely the biggest piece of climate legislation that's ever been considered in U.S. policy, end quote. I mean, this is obviously by no means a done deal, we have a ways to go, but having Manchin on board with this is huge. So my friend Defo is the only one here <laughs> with legal training and 
as a Canadian who grew up and didn't learn about the American system of government, I'm just purely self-taught. I would love to hear your thoughts on this. Uh, yeah. Uh, first of all, I this is just a big deal. I mean, mm-hmm. from the very beginning of the Biden administration, the immediate concern and the immediate downer right after the win was, yeah, but Joe Manchin, right? That was that mm-hmm. was immediately what we all said. So obviously, like you said, um, I appreciate all the caveats. It's a very lawyer uh, thing to do, which is like, <laughs> uh, obviously, this is not a done deal, right? Uh, and always <laughs> when you're a lawyer, everything depends. It's never, mm-hmm. we're never making any claims here. Um, but, mm-hmm. it, but it is a start, Liz. It really is a huge start. And look, the GOP with the help of Joe Manchin, has spent Biden's entire term, entire term, making sure that no significant legislation even gets off the drawing board, let alone sees anything like Mm -hmm. a committee, uh, like our system works such that there is proposed legislation, then it goes through committee, and the committee will work on it of both Democrats and Republicans. And uh, right, if the Republicans are running the Congress, they run the committee, vice versa, Democrats are. So in um, and right now we have both houses of of uh, of Congress, although you wouldn't know that uh, based on the track record. <laughs> um, but we really do have both both houses of Congress right now. And so we run all the committees. Right. So we can bring these things up mm-hmm. to committee. Right. And begin that debate process. And then uh, the, the House will come up with a version of it. The Senate will come up with a version of, of it. There'll there'll be negotiations. There'll be horse trading. There'll be some guy wants some guy whose vote you need from you know whatever southern Missouri uh, mm-hmm. gets a bridge for some reason like in the legislation. That this is the kind of horse trading that happens. This is right. This is how it really works behind the scenes. Um, then it gets a vote, but we haven't gotten even to the very beginning of that process because Mansion, we can't even agree on our own side. Right. To propose, really propose legislation. Right. So um, between Manchin and the GOP, uh, we've gotten really nowhere. And the GOP strategy has been really simple and really effective during uh, Biden's entire term, which is just block his agenda. And then when the midterms Mm -hmm. come around, run on Biden's ineffectiveness, plus, of course, all their pet culture war issues like CRT Uh and the existence of trans people. Literally, the existence of trans Uh people is is a debate, uh, right? And and that is a culture war issue for them, which is despicable. Oh, oh, and as a bonus, they get to convince liberals that the Democratic Party is out of touch, ineffective, Biden is old and sucky, and thereby <laughs> they can tamp down progressive enthusiasm going into the midterms. It's a win-win-win for everyone mm-hmm. if you are Manchin or you are on the right. So the Manchin turnaround uh, is by no means the be-all, end-all obviously, as we have couched this in many, many caveats, but it really is hope. And it's a start. I think this is a show that that Democrats might have some momentum. Um, and by the way, it's classic Democratic Party to uh, that nobody has been out there on the news programs or uh. writing op eds about the significance of this turnaround by Manchin, right? Nobody's even fucking talking about it. Like, I, you wouldn't mm-hmm. even know that it happened, right? And no. I think it's huge. I think that but that kind of solidarity on the left, even though it's not real solidarity, but the optics of it are really good. You've got to sell that. So, mm-hmm. you know, in the short term, maybe we don't have to lose so badly in November. Maybe, maybe. And mm-hmm. in the longer term, maybe we can stop our planet from burning so that there's Wouldn't something left for future generations. Maybe, maybe. So exciting. Uh, it would be exciting. Um, what do you think about it? Oh, well, I actually have a... a- Another, I guess it's a question because cinema has it. been part of this issue too, right? You know, yes, cinema's yes, 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 mansion yes. and cinema, it's the whole thing. And which is, so we, we ostensibly have the majority, but, or we both, we don't <laughs> because we right, have we these really two. Don't. As a practical numbers. matter, we don't, right? We mm-hmm. don't. We really don't. And, um, yeah, so I guess that's not really a question, but I did want to just point out that. <laughs> Yeah, we don't that's... have them both and cinema. And this is something I'm going to be curious about what's going forward, because um, she still has to vote for it. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it seems so, more likely now that Manchin's on board, but. 
I think so. My thought is that those two work as a pair, right? So they mm-hmm. are, they realize they probably realize. There's no doubt that Manchin did, but I think they both very they're both savvy, smart people, right? They didn't they didn't they weren't born yesterday. You don't walk into being a senator because you're right. not savvy, right? So mm-hmm. these are very smart, savvy people, and they realized as soon as Biden won that they suddenly had a bunch of power. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure that they worked to they worked together. I doubt whether Manchin would even bother getting on board if he didn't think he also had cinema on board, right? Yeah, uh, I, that's that, fair. That's my that's my instinct. But of course, I am by I am not a pro. Um, here are mm-hmm. all my lawyer caveats. I I, I don't really know. <laughs> that, and that's really just my gut instinct. And one of yeah. my biggest by by the way things in life, and my wife hears about this all the time, is when people just say, "Yeah, that's just what I think," and believe as if that is. That means that anything. That doesn't make right? it a fact. That, yeah. What are you talking about? Like, right? People just like, oh yeah, that's you know, I just believe it. Uh, no one could convince me otherwise. I mean, this is the bottom line <laughs> of faith. The whole concept of faith is this, right? Mm-hmm. It's like it doesn't matter what the evidence is. The evidence, evidence right. is relevant. I'm. And I the conservatives just have this. really, tr- yeah, conservatives have really traded in on that too. Because oh, absolutely. you don't need to listen to the news. It's all fake news. It's not what you make your own. You make your own alternative facts. Exactly. Uh, you create the reality around you as you go. And so <laughs> I am not doing that. I mean, I'm not pretending as if this is easy and that we've got it all on lock. And I don't know about cinema. But I think your point is a good one that we just don't know. We just don't know. But this is a way better position that we are mm. in legislatively. Um, Mm -hmm. than we have been literally the entire time of Biden's Biden's presidency. And so that is huge. And by the way, your point that you that you read, like when we have climate scientists and climate activists saying, oh, my God, this is a legislation we've been waiting for. Like it's not perfect, but it's really, really good. I mean, Mm -hmm. we should all be celebrating. We should all be celebrating. Maybe the world doesn't have to fucking burn. Maybe, maybe, Mm -hmm. Liz. You know, yeah, I mean, maybe. because that's the that's the truth. At the end of the day, you know, whatever other nonsense has been going on in our country, when losing our rights, um, the Capitol getting stormed, sure. all these things, the thing that the overarching thing that keeps me up at night is thinking about what kind of planet I am leaving my yes. children. Yes, and talk about. Talk about guilt sometimes, you know, Mm. middle of the night, just thinking, what the hell have I done to these children? I've put them in this situation where by the time they're my age, what is their life quality of life going to be like? Um, Forget about grandkids. Um, right, right. So I, Forget about yeah. their kids. Right. Oh uh-huh. my God. I mean, really, at the end of the day, all these social justice issues mean nothing if we don't have a planet that sustainably that can sustain life. So maybe we should be focusing on that. And so in that way, I am all for stripping down as much as you need in a bill if it means that we can do some real work on climate change issues. That's so, so important, Liz. And I think I totally agree with you. And that goes back to what we're talking about earlier, by the way, in terms of being practical about this, right? Mm. Like everything that's in that bill right now, even if it gets enacted, will not be in that bill, that end bill, right? Because conservatives and Manchin, they're all going to have a voice in this, right? Mm -hmm. But if we get some, if, if a lot of this stuff gets stripped out, like, It'll be a win. It'll be a win. Just like the ACA is far from perfect, but it was a win. It was mm-hmm. a win. And mm-hmm. ideally, it would be bigger. Ideally, it would be better. But that's just mm-hmm. not where we are right now. Um, right. And we have to be yeah. realistic about that. You know, absolutely. I mean, our our politics, our infrastructure, our government, it's messy. And that's because these are systems that are created by human beings and human beings right. are messy as hell. Right. Messy and there's itself, also right? a lot of us. This is a big country, <laughs> right? you know, right. and and we hate uncertainty and confusion. Right. We want simplicity. We want labels. We want to put things in mm. boxes. We like known quantities. We like things to sure. be black and white, not gray. Sure. And we get so overcome with these like emotion, by like, the frustration, um, 
uncomfortable emotions, not knowing, not understanding something is so uncomfortable to us or uncertainty and we can get stuck in it, right? It can create like a real stagnation, both in the macro and in the micro. So in the macro, totally. like in the political system, right? It's very convoluted mm -hmm. and requires a very specific set, like a very specific skill set from the people who work in it if they want to be good at it. They need to know how to play the game, right? Totally. It's convoluted because it was made to be adapted and changed and shifted. And we've have, like I said, a giant country that's existed for 200-ish years. And right. we've... It's 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 like a Frankenstein's monster, you know, it's totally um, so you do. You need somebody who's got the patience and the tenacity and the ruthlessness to work through that system to get to the change that they want. Right. Yeah, um, the ruthlessness yeah. point point that you that you brought up, I think it's so critical. And this is something that makes us very uncomfortable on the left. We talk mm -hmm. about, right? but that do you want again, the question is, do you want to stay on your high horse or do you want to get shit done? And I think exactly the goal has to be increasing f human flourishing. It, it, mm -hmm. it has to be, or, or else what, what is it? What's, Just like, the like point? Stand, what's the point standing on principle? Like, right. Going, but they're not to go even to bed? standing on principle. That's the thing. Like conservative, <laughs> what right. principle are you standing on? The principle of being the winner. That's the principle <laughs> That's you're it. standing That's on. That's it. Power. I mean, they're Power. they're stuck in the idea. They're just obsessed with with mastering this convoluted, insane system we have and getting power. That's what they're obsessed That's with, it. right? That's it. So we want to get the Democrats in there, who are able to do that, but then have a, an actual end goal of improving lives. Mm -hmm. Totally. And totally. back to what we we're saying about climate change. What's the point of having this power? You can be sitting on the top of the mountain with all the gold in the world, but if the fucking planet is burning, who cares? Who fucking <laughs> I don't cares? Understand. And, that's absolutely right. And by the way, the way there's such a way in which here climate is at the bottom of this, right? Because the reason why we have all these divides, these like bullshit court culture war issues that wouldn't be issues unless people made them issues, right? The reason why we have these things is because fossil fuel companies Back in the 80s, in the 70s and the 80s, knew, saw the writing on the wall. They got they had they had the same climate data that everyone else did. And they were like, oh, wow, mm -hmm. the climate's going to fall apart. And people are going to be upset about that. Let's lie to them and tell them. But we don't want to stop extracting fossil fuels mm -hmm. from the ground, right? Because we're making mm -hmm. unbelievable profits, and they still are. And so what they did is they bought politicians. They started things like the, the Tea Party. And they made these social issues, wedge issues, mm -hmm. to jam a stick in the system and throw sand uh -huh. in the gears to stop everything. That was it's like, yeah. Liz, that is the beginning and the end of this. So all of the other issues that we talk about all the time, it all comes back down to the, the comeback, comes back down to uh -huh. oil barons, essentially. Oil barons, yeah. very, very powerful people who make plastics and the people who, who, who get fuel out of the ground. Those are the two, yeah. two elements here that just don't want things to change. And so yeah. they have, and they have literally bought the entire Republican Party and the, and mm -hmm. And they tell the Republican yeah. Party what to do. That's where we yeah. are. So the climate, I believe, this is again just my I, my take, but the I think the climate is fundamentally at the bottom of it. Fossil fuels really yeah. are fundamentally at the bottom of all of this. Yeah, I agree. All I can think you of know? when you were telling me that is Austin Powers. Ignore me doing this. Ignore me doing this. You know when he's like snapping <laughs> exactly. and taking a. <laughs> Right. Uh, I That's just what I'm talking myself. about. But, <clears throat> right. Well, yeah, we look, I mean, uh, I'm we're in our 40s and that's and, and Austin Power was a big part of our early <laughs> of our early adulthood. It was a big part of it. Our brain development. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. It's part of who we are. It's part of who we are. You know what I wanted to point out too is uh before we moved on is like I I, I noticed this in the news recently and I said I'll something that I don't think has been getting a lot of play out on our, you know, social media feeds. And that is this, right, uh, Rupert Murdoch has soured on Donald Trump. And right, Ru mm -hmm. Rupert Murdoch, everybody I'm sure already knows, runs Fox News and the Wall Street Journal and all these kind of people. And they- He's a he great has, guy. Yeah, just <laughs> just the best kind of guy. Um, and, and he has elevated DeSantis. He is, he is actively shitting on Trump now. 
and mm-hmm. moving on to DeSantis. And I think that that I don't know exactly what that implies, but I do think it's interesting. I do mm-hmm. think that it means maybe they're finally done with Trump. Maybe they have realized that he is to- a toxic brand. Um, and mm-hmm. DeSantis is actually their way forward because he's a lot of the same Trump, but without uh, without the buffoonery. Right. Right. Um, right. Well, they so, probably realize Trump is a limited. He he can only go so far because he's an idiot. Right. Because he's an idiot. He is a, a like a, a just despicable narcissist. Um, but I'm sure DeSantis is also a narcissist, but he's a narcissist who is not an idiot. And right. Um, that's terrifying. Um, I just want to mm-hmm. throw that in. Um, uh, but I but I also think that that reflects that the Democrats have some momentum. I think they're like mm-hmm. that. That's, again, a theory that the reason right. why he's like, look, we need to do something different because the Democrats are getting so are getting some purchase. Right. They're, they're, yeah. they're getting the, they're getting someplace and we better change our tactics if we think we're going to win. So that's just mm-hmm. another interesting uh, wrinkle, I think, in all of this. And again, just my uh, my uh, yeah. super, super astute political <laughs> acumen. Uh. <laughs> Listen, I do. I think it's very interesting, and and part of the reason that I get, I enjoy. There's a an element of the political game that I enjoy. It's fun to watch. Um, it's stressful when big things are at stake, but which I suppose they always are. But it's going to be really mm. interesting watching uh, the midterms over the next few months, and because I think there are going to be a lot of things that we're going to be seeing similar to Kansas, essentially referendums on different things. I think yes. we're going to be seeing referendums on does a Trump endorsement still have the same power that it had a couple of years ago? Right. Um, are people going to are Republicans going to distance themselves from Trump? Are they or how are the, uh, you know, middle of the road Republicans going to fare in these elections? I think that's going to be right. really, really interesting to see. Um, totally. Totally. Yeah. So we get our popcorn ready. I'm sure we're going to be talking about these things going forward. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, to that end, if you want to move on to the next section, I think we can talk about totally the, it, it, kind of what I was talking about before with human beings being uncomfortable with uncertainty, like talk about living in uncertain times, right? You know, how are we going to take care of ourselves so that we don't get that emotional overwhelm and burn mm. out or want to tune out of things? Um, you know, one of the ways totally. we can be more effective advocates for improving our systems is to become better at managing those feelings. So we've been thinking a lot lately, you and I, about the idea of beginning again. Can you talk mm. to me a little bit about that idea? Totally, totally. I'm and I'm glad they brought that up. And I think one and you and I have talked a lot about this. One of the things that we want to do with this show is get out of purely the outrage business, mm-hmm. um, purely the bad news business, um, and find reasons to hope for all the reasons we talked about up at the top, more toward the top of the show. It's important to find reasons to hope. Also, what we want to talk about is the importance of finding a way forward, finding a way to act in a way that is effective, um, to fight back, to contribute to the fight for social justice, and perhaps most importantly, to take care of ourselves so that we are prepared to um, to engage with that world out there, which is really hard and and mm-hmm. and depressing and scary. So, um, as you know, and I also want to couch this in uh, layers and layers of caveats. I am not uh, suggesting that everybody runs out and starts meditating. Um, I actually am. You should definitely do that. But I get it if you're not into that. Um, no, I'm just joking around. Seriously, no, don't do it if you don't want to. But I'm, I, can just, I can just tell you what's worked for me. And that is, um, and, and I'm really into that. And I'm really into uh, Zen meditation in particular, but all kinds of different kinds of meditation. And not just like the cheesy mindfulness that like corporations dole out. It's become very popular. 
um, in the United States to be like uh, to get into get, med- get into mindfulness so that you can be more peaceful so that you can do more fucking work for corporations. Like uh-huh. that's not what I'm talking about right, here. Right. right. That I'm talking about for yourself to find mm-hmm. a way to be happier, more content and importantly, less reactive in this world. So that's what Mm -hmm. meditation is for me. But that's separate from the begin again concept. It is related, but separate. So, and in meditation, one of the things that is, that is at the base of it, right, is like, let's just say I'm following my breath. It is inevitable that I will, my mind will wander. That's just what our minds do. They wander. Mm -hmm. That's what they do. Like our brains are problem solving machines and they immediately start looking for problems to solve when there's nothing to do. That is what our brains do when they're not engaged. The begin again concept is, in terms of meditation, is when your brain wanders and you suddenly realize that you're not even meditating anymore, you're thinking about your kid or you're thinking about work, is pull the process of pulling your attention back to your Mm -hmm. breath or back to whatever the focus of meditation is. Um, Even if there is no focus, which by the way, is a way of meditating, which is a whole thing. It's not just sitting with your hands cupped and and saying, oh, it's much more complicated than that. Mm -hmm. It's a skill. But the whole point is to keep pulling yourself back. That's point one. Mm -hmm. And point two is realizing that losing your focus is inevitable. Why Mm -hmm. does Mm -hmm. this matter in terms of our process here of becoming better people, better advocates, better social justice folks, people who care about this stuff. And that is realizing that feeling shitty, feeling depressed, feeling overwhelmed, it's not a matter of if that will happen. It Mm. is a matter of when that happens. It's inevitable. Mm -hmm. It is inevitable. It definitely will happen. The question is, When that happens, are you able to begin again? Mm -hmm. Are you able to refocus on, frankly, things that are right here, right now, right here, Mm -hmm. right now, consciously? And so I think that the begin again concept, again, it's a very meditative concept in general, but I think that it applies more, much more broadly. I think it applies if we walk through life being surprised every time something goes wrong, we are going to spend a lot of time very surprised and very upset. (laughs) Or Mm -hmm. on the other hand, we can assume that things are going to go wrong. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean being depressed about it but or, 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 or being consumed by it, but it's not being surprised when it happens. Like you're going to be surprised mm-hmm. at first, obviously, but recovering mm-hmm. faster from that surprise. Right. Because you're not defeated by it. You're not defeated by it. Beginning again. Right. So that's sort of the begin again concept um, that I have been really working with. Um, a lot over the last uh, couple months in particular. But I think that I think that's especially for folks who if you are like me or you're like, uh, I'm not, I don't want to presume here, but you as well, Liz, um, I guess I'm presuming um, who <laughs> I'll can, tell you if can you're wrong. Easily, <laughs> thank you. Can easily <laughs> be I'm, I have no doubt that you will um, bogged down, bogged down by uh, by by various issues. You know, I think that it is important yeah. to be able to have that. I think that skill, uh, not that it needs to be developed in meditation. I think just conceptually, it's a good, it's a good, for sure. you know, so that's sort of yeah. my, my take there. Yeah. yeah to- I mean, as a, as a perfectionist, a recovering perfectionist, <laughs> uh, that really resonates, you know, I'm, there have been many, many times in my life when I try something, I wasn't good at it immediately. And I thought, oh, well, just not for me. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, or, same, you same, know, same. yeah. And, you know, things like um, go, like being a runner, quote unquote. So I'll get into a running routine and then I, I miss a couple of days and old me would have been like, well, I guess I'm just not doing that anymore because I failed. Right, right. Right. It's done. Yes. Instead of thinking like, no, a few days or a month or a year off, it doesn't, you're not a bad runner. You're not a bad person. You can start again. It's fine. And I think it, it, it really, that resonates with me because there's, there's some judgment there, you know? Totally. Um, because you're judging those feelings, the, 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 whatever it is that trips you up, 
and, and mm-hmm. you know, you're saying, oh, well, I'm depressed now. That's bad. That's a bad thing. You're just getting stuck right. in that feeling instead of thinking like, yes, this is here again. And that's okay. I didn't fail. <laughs> right. Like, of course it's back. Like, of, of course. course it's back. Like, why yeah. wouldn't it come back? Why would I believe right. it wouldn't come back? But of course, of course. But, you, but like, I think what you, what you, what you brought up, I think is so critical is that, that we tend, and I think this is how we have been socialized in Judeo, in a Judeo-Christian system, um, to self-loathing and, mm. and right. We, we, the Judeo-Christian system is based, is based on the base concept that there's something inherently wrong with you. Right. Right. The original sin concept. That is, that is where it starts. You are mm-hmm. broken. For the moment you're born, you are broken and your entire right. life is atoning for that. That's, that is the fundamental of the Judeo-Christian system. The Eastern folks, apparently the Dalai Lama, and I don't particularly like the Dalai Lama, by the way, I don't, I, I don't care at all about like the Buddhist orthodoxy and structure. I couldn't possibly care less about that stuff. That's not what my meditation's about. Um, mm-hmm. But um, the Dalai Lama was once asked about this, uh, asked by Western Buddhists and Western practitioners about this concept about the problem of in their practices and with the people that they work with the problem of self-loathing and there Mm -hmm. wasn't a word for it in like tibetan like he didn't it didn't understand Uh it like it's a concept that he had they had to break it down into simpler concepts for him to even understand the idea my point is it's a very western thing it's a very very western thing and it's because we are judeo-christian it's precisely because of that it's precisely because of that and that is a foundation of our entire culture so this idea that there is something inherently flawed with you and we mm-hmm. you have to spend your entire life atoning for that. And so that yeah. comes into this idea of like when I fall off the wagon, so to speak, I'm not working mm-hmm. out anymore or I'm not meditating maybe for X amount of days. And then this idea that, oh, my God, I failed. Right. I am so right. fucked up. How could I let this happen again? Uh-huh. Blah, 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 blah. And like, again, it's a fundamental flaw in in our culture. And it is why most that that's why like we default to feeling shitty about ourselves. Like, I think, oh my God. I think that's why. Yep. You know, it's better living through self-judgment. That's the idea that like you can <laughs> right, right. you can self-flagellate yourself into <laughs> the ideal uh, life. You know, exactly. like you'll work harder if you scream obscenities at yourself. Um, <laughs> right. Just don't be kind to yourself because then you'll never do anything. This to me is the inherent fallacy in our culture that motivation is derived from punishment. Yeah. Because it is not. I don't know. (laughs) Just as a thought experiment, right? So say you want to do something, right? And you, I don't know, meditate every day and you Mm -hmm. do it for a week and then you stop for whatever reason. And you have one teacher who yells at you and calls you a lazy piece of shit and tells mm. you, you better meditate or else, bop, 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 bop. And then you have another teacher who tells you, um, I love you. You're a wonderful person. You're so good at meditating. And um, think about how you feel when you meditate. Isn't that wonderful? Everybody has ebbs and flows. Who do you, who makes you feel like getting back into it, right? Like that's, Hmm. and yet we all have been trained to have this voice in our head. And I shouldn't speak for all of us, myself. There's this deep belief that if you coddle, quote unquote, coddle yourself, you won't do anything. And it is the exact opposite of the truth. Human beings don't function like that. (laughs) Or I certainly don't. Maybe there are people who function better being yelled at. It's not me. And I think it's important to recognize. I think that's right. I think it's not most people. I mean, there are probably some people who do function that way, but I agree that it is definitely not, not definitely. It's probably not most people. And by Mm -hmm. the way, we can wrap this up into a conversation of capitalism too, right? I mean, the whole capitalist system is basically, um, it's all top down hierarchical, Mm -hmm. right? You just Mm -hmm. do what the person on top of you tells you to do. And mm-hmm. um, I mean, it's it's so Western, it's so Western, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It is, and um, and it's so hierarchical, and it's always basically, um, you know, uh, I mean, we, the modern corporation doesn't 
at least law firms definitely do scream at each other. People do scream at each other. But like in the modern corporation, there's less and less of that. And big banks, too. People scream in big banks as well. Um, <laughs> they all think the stakes is, are so high, right? Mm-hmm, but like in your average mm-hmm. corporation, people aren't going to do that. But you will be reprimanded, right? And it's not right. going to be a positive conversation about no. how you screwed up. And I no. think you're absolutely right. And I can imagine, I don't have any children, but I can imagine that I do know though, I've been a child and I've been a parent, I've been a child of authoritarian parents, like mm-hmm. the, the beatings, the, the beatings, the, 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 the verbal, the verbal assaults, the whole thing. Right. So I, I've been mm-hmm. there and mm-hmm. I can tell you that, I mean, all that does. And then I subsequently spent my entire life up until I was like 25, just fucking up. Right. So it didn't, right. it didn't force me into positivity no. at all, at all. And all I think it your does point is, is it teaches you how one. to be, sorry, it teaches you how to be sneaky. It teaches you how to get away with mm, stuff, yes, how to not, yes. not share what's actually going on because you're just going to yes. get punished. Exactly. Yeah. And it, at best, best case scenario, it, it teaches obedience, right? Um, uh, right. To, to to authority, which is a terrifying thing for a lot of reasons, um, unless mm-hmm. you're a fascist, but like, right, but <laughs> we're not. Um, but but I think you're right. I, I think you're right that it, it teaches it teaches sneakiness. And, and as a result, right, of, of that, in my, in, in my family you end up like, like, we didn't talk about anything growing up, right? We and mm-hmm. and and we weren't like close or connected for that reason. And so, again, I don't want to get into my psychology here, but I do think that there's something very real about that. What you said there, I think that is yeah. such an important point. This idea of self-flagellation versus uh, encouragement, and, uh, and and what the results of that are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's way more motivating to feel supported than to be exactly. dodging punishment. Exactly, I mean, you can be motivated exactly. to a point by dodging punishment, but you're not going to have that like uh, self-generated motivation, a real desire to do something if it's because you're just trying to avoid punishment. Totally. Yeah. So meditating, noticing that that punitive voice that many of us have, I think that's I think that is a great self-care tip for today. If we can take that with us in our social justice journey. Yeah, totally. I am with you. I think that is, um, I love that we're doing this. I think that is, I think, I hope that this is a thing that we keep doing. And I hope that, frankly, that people listen to this far into the show, because I think that in terms of surviving the world that we're in, that we find ourselves post row, uh, post Trump, all this post fact, um, I think mm-hmm. that the self care element is absolutely, absolutely critical. So, um, yeah. Yeah. And going forward, uh, you know, I want to just say, we're going to be talking about that in a very concrete way in every episode, because it is crucial. We have to put our, you know, put your own seatbelt on first and then you can help other people. Ah, oh, I love that. I love that. That's like, that's, <laughs> That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Uh, well, everybody, remember that if you like our show, to make sure to subscribe, leave a review, check out our Patreon, and tell your friends to listen. New episodes post Mondays on all the major podcast channels. And please connect with us on social media because we love you and we want to talk to you. We really, really do. So until next time, please care for each other, share your experience, strength, and hope with each other, and with the people you love. <laughs>